0: Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: This is a CBC podcast. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is Ella. She had anal cancer. Let's talk about it. This is this is kind of fucking cool, guys, because uh, uh, it's it is currently. Sunny and 11 degrees here in In Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada At 7.38pm At 7.38pm
0: It's about the same here, I'd just say roughly the same Here in Ottawa, Canada In Chelsea,
3: Quebec, yeah, Ottawa, Canada Or I guess you're in Ottawa right now Um, And then then all the way Over in Somewhere in Australia, I don't fucking know jack shit About Australia, (laughs) except that There's like tons of wild Bugs and, and crocodiles and, uh, and cool people and kangaroos, uh, Joey's. Um, uh, but it's uh, also 11 degrees and looks like it's sunny. Wow. It is hey, sunny. It's sunny. Do you
2: guys know why? It's the same thing everywhere? Why? Why? Because the earth is flat. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> Just Fuck. in
2: case you guys were wondering why it's the same weather and temperature everywhere, uh, we are
3: chatting with our friend Ella all the way from fucking Austra- Australia.
1: Australia, Australia, mate. G'day! I, I promised I promised myself I wouldn't say g'day, mate but g'day, mate.
2: What's ah. your, what's your cool best attempt that? at our accent?
1: Um, oh, I can say one word in in the Canadian accent. All right. Um, it's it. the white dairy drink that comes from cows. Okay. Milk. And I say it. It. You say milk.
3: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That right, was really right. good.
1: Yeah. What do you, Wait, what what do you do, say? What do you say? Milk. 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 Mew Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's got a lot so of I that, that letter I. Milk. Milk. Hey, milk. Hey, Ella, what part of Australia are you in? Oh. I'm down in Melbourne. Um, Melbourne is um, the one of the southern... Um, it's the capital city of Victoria. So we also have a Victoria mm. in, in Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is known for great coffee, great food, terrible weather by Australian standards, mm. um, and and lots of sport and lots of music. So I,
0: I assume that you must know my friend, Hanny and uh, Steph, who also live there.
1: Of course. Right? Obviously. I mean, there's okay. only, uh, I don't know, four million of us. So um yeah. Shout out to Sam if you're listening.
2: My G'day from Melbourne. Good day.
3: <laughs> Um. So so one thing that I do know about Australia, aside from the Joeys and aside from the cool people like yourself, mm. is that y'all get a, a, a bunch of sunlight. And there's this really, there's this new hip thing that's popped up on Instagram uh, from like wellness influencers called Sunning Your Asshole. And here's my, here's how we're going to transition into today's episode. Um, I don't yeah. know if you've seen the photos of Sunning Your Asshole.
2: Is this but, like no, a no. bleaching? Is this it, like a bleaching?
3: It's kind of, yeah, it's kind of similar. I'm going to actually put it in the chat here, guys. And if you want to bring it up, you can look at it yourself. The
1: sun where the sun don't shine.
3: It is is literally (laughs) putting the sun where the sun don't shine. And the reason why I bring up sunning your asshole is because (laughs) um, (laughs) we are currently talking to Ella who, who has skin cancer up her asshole. And I'm wondering, is this a result of this new Cool hip fad, sunning your asshole, perineum sunning.
1: Guys, I think you've nailed it. It's 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 been two years and about nineteen specialists, but um, yeah, it's it's, it's me for. doing all that nude yoga and in, in in the harsh Australian sun.
0: That's it. You know what's you know what's really funny is the first comment on that post that you sent is is how rich are your parents?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, dude, that's hilarious. dude. Not yeah. only is this poor woman's butthole being, uh, being ravaged by the sun, but oh, she's God. also cooking like an egg on a rock that I am only assuming could be no, no less than 70 degrees Celsius.
3: Yep. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, but enough about, uh, that, um, uh, Ella, you, you do, you do or did, uh, maybe correct me have or had skin cancer up the butt. How does yeah. that work?
1: Yeah. Right up the whoopsie. Um, I am two years post a diagnosis of stage three, the anal cancer.
3: Anal, okay. So, so is there a difference yeah. between, because, so, because I, in the, in the pre-interview that, that our, our measly intern who gets paid nothing, uh, <laughs> did with you, she wrote down, she wrote down skin cancer up the butt. Mm. And, and I was like, skin cancer up the butt. Is that... Mm. Is that even a possibility? Are we talking like melanoma? No,
0: because we were kind of, we were, sorry, we were just kind of wondering if she was just doing a, a, a half assed job because, <laughs> um, you know, we're not paying her that well. So we yeah. just figured that she just wrote skin cancer up the butt <laughs> when really there's a, a lot she's more to taking it.
2: Shortcuts.
1: No, Lauren was amazing. I think you should definitely pay her more. And okay. um, she did we'll a wonderful interview and she's correct. <laughs> uh promises? i i have I had um, what is uh, known as a squamous cell carcinoma, so that's a type of skin cancer it's not a melanoma, oh. thank God because um, you really don't want a melanoma and you certainly don't want one up your bum but it's um it's true the uh, and again, I did not know this until two years ago um, when I was diagnosed, but the skin that goes from the outside of your bum up your anus there's that Mm -hmm. sexy word again, Mm. is the same skin that's on your hands and legs and the rest of your body. And then there is literally a point at which your anus turns into your rectum and then that turns into your bowel. And that's why Mm. there's anal cancer, rectal cancer, and bowel cancer. And they're all completely different cancers. So oh, yours, wow. is,
2: yours is just, yours is is obviously after you make that transition from the skin that's makes up your, your butthole to the skin that makes up your, your anus.
1: Correct. So when they found that nasty lump or I found that nasty lump on my bikini line, um, and they stuck needles in it and they tested it, they came back and they were like, well, the bad news is, is that it's a secondary cancer. And... Hmm. The worst news is is we don't know where the primary one is.
2: Oh oh shit.
1: But we know that it's a squamous cell carcinoma cancer, and so it's got to be a skin cancer. And so then we spent like 4 days looking at my body trying to find this goddamn cancer until oh. someone had the bright idea to stick their finger at my bum.
3: That wasn't the first thing someone wanted wow. to do. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know. They didn't even bother me with Hmm. I
3: mean, <laughs> okay, here but, in Canada, oh, I, I, I had a sore toe, and the first thing they did was ram <laughs> a finger right up my ass. I, I just thought that was standard. Although this was a this was a back in, alley. In this was a back alley of doctor. Of <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: But yeah, that's okay. Right. But wait. So so you said that you you mentioned that you had this lump near your bikini line. Mm. Um, when you first discovered that, um, what was that like? Were 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 you worried about it?
1: Oh yes. Um, I have a long and checkered history of lumps and bumps. Um, I also have a long and checkered family history of people dying early from cancer. And Mm. I also, on top of all of that, um, have a healthy dose of generalised anxiety disorder that does tend to manifest itself in um, hypochondria, although we're not allowed to use that word anymore. We have to say health anxiety. Mm. So when I found that uh. little pea-sized lump on my bikini line, I reckon it took me about twelve seconds to get to my funeral.
0: Oh, oh fuck! Yes, you,
2: you were freaking freaking out
3: pretty,
0: Freak. pretty immediately. Where, Did, where on your where on your bikini line? Like, um, like close to where? the bikini line's like no, just one part it's, of the
3: body, right? It's, it's pretty it's pretty like it's a pretty it? localized spot the bikini line. It,
1: it's m- a line. I'll tell you, where your I'll bikini tell you what it was, right? It was it ended up being my lymph node. So if you know where your lymph nodes are,
0: that's why I was asking that because you have you have a fuckload of lymph nodes and and they usually get inflamed first, right? Because that's a sense of of right. um, inflammation in the body or that yeah. you're fighting off something. Yeah.
1: And that's what the GP said to me when I went the very next day see mentioned, health anxiety, um, and I said, I've got this lump on my bikini line and it's not sore and it's not moving around, and I do know from my family history that those are two signs that maybe it's not just an ingrown hair. Mm. Uh, and she felt around while my kid played on the ground with her toys and, um, she said exactly what you would expect a GP to say. And it was the right thing to say, which is, it's probably nothing, leave it a month. And then, um, if it still hasn't gone away, then we'll give it an ultrasound and a biopsy and do all that sort of nasty stuff.
2: Mm. So you, you feel pretty y- justified you said- in your, in your, in your, I mean, I'm assuming, you know, you <laughs> said that you've, you have, you've, you've, you've kind of had this you know, mm. health anxiety or uh, for, I'm assuming for most of your life. You've been kind yeah. of like in that headspace about health. Do you feel like do you kind of feel vindicated a little bit? Like
1: Good like, word. Oh. I mean, one of the one of the um <laughs> one of the lines I started to crank out um, when I was sort of over medicated and understimulated um during my treatment was um, the worst thing. What's worse than a hypochondriac is a vindicated hypochondriac. Mm. And it's true, mm. like I am a GP's worst nightmare because they're doing their best and they're bloody good at what they do. But holy hell, I mean, 400 people were diagnosed with anal cancer in Australia in 2015. And that was really the last time there was any sort of stats around it. It's such a rare cancer. And Mm. the poor woman, I still see her. I still, you know, go in and out of the same GP practice. And I don't know whether I'm just projecting, but... Yes, I feel a little vindicated because I didn't wait a month. I went and had an ultrasound straight away. Um, but I also feel really bad for her because she didn't do anything wrong.
0: Right. In, in, uh, in Australia, what's the healthcare system like? I don't know that much about it. And, and in hearing you say that um, she told you to wait a month to go get an ultrasound, like what's the process of like it, trying to speed that up and going and getting one quicker than what might be recommended by a GP?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. We've got a really good public health system. Um, it's similar to the in the UK, the NHS. It's called Medicare um, and it, it covers everything. Uh, but, yeah, you have to go through the public system, which means that 36-year-old women with tiny lumps on their bikini lines um, would probably have to wait some time um, to, to get an ultrasound. Um, having said that, she wrote me a, a, a referral. I could have gone the very next day. It was more of her recommendation. Okay. But um, I happened to be in an ongoing monitoring relationship with a um, breast cancer surgeon because of a family history of breast cancer. Just to be clear, I've never had breast cancer and I don't have the genes for the breast cancer, but I'd like to get checked out. And very coincidentally, I was actually seeing him the very next day. And oh, wow. um, he was telling me the excellent news that my boobs were clear And I was feeling really smug because, you know, my boob. So I took the the credit for the cells being excellent. (laughs) And as I I stood up from the appointment and I said goodbye, I still remember this as one of my very seminal cancery moments. I put my bag over my shoulder. I walked out the door. And because I can never resist um, the chance for a joke, I turned my head and I said to him, well, Sue Wen, that's his name, um, it's always good to have something to worry about. So now I don't have to worry about my tits. I can worry about my lump on my groin. And he didn't laugh at my hilarious joke. Instead, right. he said, can you please come back inside and lie down and I want to look at this. And he was the reason why my, oh, my God. treatment became um, sped up and my wow. diagnosis was sped up.
2: So whoa. whoa that's crazy so how how
3: long ago I, I mean okay how old are you
1: I'm 38 and so I'm, i
3: was sorry 36. And sorry
0: can I just go back to that moment when you went back into the room um yeah. when when you went back into the room and he checked the lump there and and kind of expedited that whole process did he did he kind of raise any red flags for you leaving the room no. that day where okay
1: no and again he's one of the most um amazing skilled um, revered um, cancer specialists and surgeons in the country, and he looked over the desk at me and said, "I'm almost certain it's a hernia. So don't mm. worry," because mm. he knew that my anxiety was was very bad.
3: Mm. Right. So this happened when you were 36. Yes. And that was that. So now two years ago.
1: Yep. It was April 2018 when I was diagnosed.
3: And you you said that you have a you have a child.
1: Yeah, she was five then, so she's just
3: about to turn eight. Right. Well, you, you know, in terms of like the the anxiety surrounding being diagnosed with cancer, um, how much of the fact that you you have a kid, like how, how did that play a role in you in into your anxiety and and the things that you were feeling, like. There's obviously the, the, the anxiety of, of just like going through the process of having cancer yourself and, and what that entails. But um, did was like, you know, did thoughts of your your family come up during all of that? And like, what were the discussions with your your partner? i, I assuming that you're.
1: Yeah, I've got a husband you're with
3: your, your husband. Yeah, OK. His
1: name's Tom. He's excellent. Um, I it was horrible. It was hell. That was the worst mm. bit. The worst bit was, um, as, as anyone, and, and you guys, I know you've spoken to a fair few people who've received cancer diagnoses and, and other sort of um, significant health sort of diagnoses. The, the worst point I've found, and I've spoken to lots of people who've gone through this, is the point between diagnosis and prognosis because you don't you know you're sick mm. but you don't know how sick you are and you don't know what they can do about it and you don't know whether you're going to die or not. And mm-hmm. that time can stretch out for two or three weeks. Some people it can be longer, but luckily for me it was about two weeks. And that, and that was, was the two time weeks of your life? It was it was fucking hell. And and um the the thing that made it hell was also the thing that got me through it. Because mm. there was a very distinct sense of um it's a fear, I can't really describe it's a terror. It's a very primal animalistic terror that you need to run and you need to get away from this very, very, very bad thing that's just happened to you. But on the flip side, it's in you, and no matter where you go, you can't leave it, and so you're going to have to face it. And so the terror that I felt was because I was a mother, and I was obviously um, thinking about leaving a child um, out in the world and not having me around for her. But on the flip side, um she was the very reason why I got up every morning and made her raisin toast and danced around to bad eighties radio and just lived my day as mm. normal because you have to when you've got a five year old.
2: Mm.
3: When you say when you say run, like, are you talking about like like metaphorically r- running from the thing that's out to get you, or or do you do you like do you do you mean? literally run from your life to just get away like kind of like yeah. you know, like like a you know when like when my cat got hit by a car um and i know that this is like pretty normal with cats is like is if they get sick or if they get hurt mm. they they don't come to you for help they're they're gonna try to like hide and die under a deck or under yeah. a rock or like away from anything everything and, and anything mm. Whereas like my dog, he's been having seizures like recently. Right. And, and when he goes into having a seizure, it's, he, he immediately like sprints to me. He's like, I need to be safe. I need to be with my, my owner and like comes to my feet. And it's, it's such a, it's such a drastic difference between the two of them. Right. Uh, The way that they handle this. And I've known, I've known people, I, a good friend of mine, I remember his mother came, it got diagnosed with cancer and it was, it was terminal and she was going to die pretty quickly. And it blew my, it shocked me. I was a kid when it happened, but it shocked me that she, she just left. She, she went to the province that she was from. She left uh, my friend and and his father um, here and, and she just like, just kind of like, like disappeared from their life. And it was this, uh, it was this very, very um, intense and like, and, and bizarre uh coping mechanism i guess but but now but i just heard you and i've never really thought about it until you just said that there and it made me wonder like it were you in that sort of fight or flight mode
1: i think when i talk about that sense of that primal need to just run it was it was a fear so i never felt like i wanted to um run away from people whether they were my right. family or my, um, my social group or even hmm. as it sort of extended probably a, um, a, a group of strangers, the opposite. I really lent into that and I, and I probably overexposed um, myself to as many people as possible. But that, that sense of wanting to run was when if something terrible happens to you at the very first point, much like your cat, um, it, it was, and I use the word animalistic um, in the really purest sense of the word. That first 48 hours after being diagnosed, um, I did a lot of crying in cars because mm. when you're a parent, you can't really cry at home. And they were the worst moment because I was sitting in the car with my mother and she was trying to tell me that everything was going to be okay. And I was sort of doing this weird howling, groaning sound that I've never heard and I've never produced and I certainly wouldn't ever want to do again. And it was this moment at which I realized that. My mum was telling me that everything was being was going to be okay, and I couldn't believe her. And I think that for every adult, there comes a point at which they realise they can't believe their parent when they say that, mm. and that's a that's a real moment. And so that was my primal. Um, my mum's not going to make everything better. I can't run away from this. Um, so you know, I better dust myself off, get back into the. Into the house and make dinner.
0: It's so um, interesting to hear you say that because I feel like for the first time I'm under I'm understanding how my mom felt with um, her cancer diagnosis. Um, a few years ago, she had bladder cancer, and I could never understand why she knew that I hosted a podcast where I talked to sick people, yet mm. she wouldn't come and talk to me about the struggles or challenges that she was facing because it felt like too much of a burden for her to um, put that on my shoulders. And she like, I'm her kid. She wanted to yeah. protect me. Mm-hmm. And it was so hard for me to understand why, even yeah. though like I, I understood I understand the, I understood the idea of her telling me that she wanted to protect me. Mm. However, like rationally, I wanted her to see the rational side of it mm. where I was like, but you know, it'll be easier for you if you talk to me about this. Like, I do this. I'm I'm here for you. I want to make you feel better. But it was it's it's that feeling that you describe of like this is the first time I'm realizing that it's like she probably felt so scared that you know no matter what I said it wasn't going to make the situation any better.
1: No, and 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 to build on that, if if she was to tell you that, how heartbreaking for a mother to break that news to their child. And one of the blessings that I had when I got sick was my kid was five. So it was real easy to um, paint an appropriate picture for mm. her of my illness. Um, we waited until we knew what the, di- what the prognosis was and what the treatment would be and what the plan was. And then we sat her down and we said, Mummy's got a lump in her bum. It sounds a bit funny. It sounds a bit silly. It's not a good lump and it shouldn't be there. And so we talked her through very broadly the treatment that I was going to have. She looked at me straight away and she said, oh, is it worms? Because uh, she's five and, and that's what five-year-olds have. They have worms. Um, so, so, you know, I was really conscious of not, of not making her um, fearful. And also um, it still breaks my heart that, you know, two years later, I don't know whether it's her personality and, and how much is sort of nature or nurture. But she still worries that she has to look after me sometimes. Um,
3: mommy has got a lump in her bum is is a kids book that I think should be made. Like that is such yeah. a that's, that's such a fucking title. perfect and it's yeah, not title such a perfect for title for for a children's yeah <laughs> so, totally yeah. Mummy's got a lump in her bum. <laughs> Sick boy podcast. We'll be right back after this very short break. Um, how many people did you say ha- have in Australia have been diagnosed? It-
1: in 2000, I mean, I, I work in advertising, I'm the stats, but in 2015, I think there were 4,000, no, sorry. In 2015, 421 Australians were diagnosed with anal cancer.
3: Okay. So it's a, it's a rare cancer. Cause I was going to say, I think you're the first person we've ever met who had, who's, who's had anal cancer. Yeah. Uh, am I are we, am I right about that guys? Like I, I right. mean we've definitely yeah. touched on colon cancer, we've touched on rectal yeah. cancer, but I don't think we've I don't think we've heard from anyone who has a, cancer of the
1: anus. It's super rare uh, and I struggled yeah. to find anyone to talk to about it because S- anyone who has anal cancer is generally a 75-year-old bloke.
3: Right. And, okay, you mean like
2: support like support talk. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Okay, so on the on the side of the support talk then, let's assume that out of the you know, the thousands of people that listen to the show, maybe there's one of them who also has yeah. anal cancer or is about to or maybe they don't know it yet and they're about yeah. to get anal cancer what are the things that you would say to them to, you know, it's like the, the, the things that, that mothers always say after they had their, their first kid, they're like, well, no one ever told me this. Like, <laughs> what's the, what's the no one ever told you this about anal cancer. And, and like, what, what, what are the particulars of it that, that people might not really consider?
1: The really quick way of answering that is, um, and if someone said this to me, um, two years ago, I would have punched it in the gut, but mm-hmm. it's a good cancer and there's no such thing as a good cancer. And I get that, mm-hmm. but it is well, we've one all watched of Seinfeld. The first headline I would give someone is, um, it is treatable and manageable and you have options. And when you are diagnosed with cancer, all you want is options. Mm-hmm. to go into that. I, I want to tell you a really quick little story because when I was first diagnosed, my husband and I, we both work at advertising, but he's like a strategist. So he sort of does charts and insights and all sorts of airy, fairy stuff, whereas I'm in client service. So I write timing plans and I get shit done. And so I set up this cancer station at home. And the first thing I did was I went out to Kmart and I bought loads of new stationery. It was amazing. <laughs> and then like we had like phones and it was like sort of, it was like a, in my head, it was like a montage with music playing in the background and we were talking and we were typing <laughs> and we were trying to get together our treatment team. And the first thing you do is you you, is you audition your treatment team. And I knew this because I spoke to lots of people and I asked them what they what would have done differently and they said that we wouldn't have taken the first doctor that was given to us. We would go see, like, this doctor versus this doctor and get them to pitch to you and tell them tell you why you should be working with this doctor. So the first doctor we went and saw was um, a very esteemed head of a very esteemed department in a very esteemed hospital, and he was looking at my PET scan, which showed that I had um, anal cancer and then it had spread to both my lymph nodes, which is not good. You know what, cancer in your lymph nodes, that's real bad. And he was sort of, he kept talking to me in a void and he was like wafting his hand over my scan and he, and then anyway, at one point he referenced all of my reproductive organs and my genitalia. And he said, your paws, waf, paws, lady ladybug. <laughs> and I was like, eh! and Tom, my husband was sort of holding my hand. So I didn't stand up and stomp off. Anyway, the next day. We went and saw another doctor. you were like, It's my pussy. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was say gonna it. say something else because say I it. know
2: that you Australians are very fond of what, the sea C- 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 bomb. My, my cousin which, cannot- which is a different which is a different animal over here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I didn't I didn't drop the sea C- bomb, but as Tom marched me down the hallway away from him, I was sputtering over my shoulder saying, It's a vagina! That's my uterus. <laughs> Um, anyway, so the very next day I went to see another doctor, um, same job, different hospital, still steamed, still male, still white. Um, you know, they, they, you sort of feel like they were pretty much cookie cutter. And we walked into his office and he sat me down and this is answering your question. And he said, I'm going to tell you something that no one else is going to say to you. I said, okay, you know, like settle in already. I was like, I like you. This is already good. Um, He said, "Um, you are going to regret that you ever met me. You are going to experience pain in a way um, that you can't imagine. And if you stick with it, then you will get better.
2: Wow.
1: And he looked so certain And he was so honest that I was like, sign me up, man, I'm in. And I said to Tom in the hallway outside his office as we left, this time Tom didn't have to march me away, and I said, I want him on my side in a laneway knife fight and Mm. therefore
0: He's going to be on the cancer
2: team. Fuck yeah. He was the 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 only one that didn't get fired off of the Apprentice's medical medical edition. So
3: he was the first one we appointed. How brutal would it have been, though, if he was like, listen, Ella, I'm going to tell you something, and you're not going to like to hear it. You're going to feel pain. It's not going to be good. But if you stick with it, we will get through it. Just trust me and then you're like fuck yeah all right this is the guy and then he goes but uh first let us just look at your lady bits here
2: fuck fuck you of the lady bits <laughs> <laughs> that's um, kind of interesting i've never really heard like we we've i think in the i think i mean you know you hear of people going uh you know getting a second opinion or mm. or having a or having like a an issue mm. where with a doctor where they you know where they end up switching doctors but i've never really i don't think in all the episodes and all the conversations we've ever had i don't think we've ever really heard it being described as like hearing pitches from mm. from from doctors and i mean like that's i mean what a what a um what an amazing you know I, any healthcare system on earth you can find a whole bunch of problems with but what a uh, but what an awesome what an awesome uh you know ability to be able to go hey i don't like i don't yeah. i don't want to choose this one because i i don't i don't get the i don't get a good vibe from this yeah. one or th- this one doesn't really kind of jive with me and to be able to go with somebody that you really feel is going to be able to to take care of you because i mean as uh, uh, there is something for sure to be said about I, I was I was listening to something that was maybe a couple of weeks ago, and it was said saying that on the upper end of placebo, uh, placebo can have a performance uh, increase of up to fifteen percent.
1: Amazing.
2: And and so there is something very much very much to be said about believing that someone can take care take good care of you.
1: You're spot on. I mean, I think that. Um... I did a lot of research into, you know, psychological support and meditation and, and positive thinking and, and psychiatric support. And, um, and, and I, um, I, I really strongly believe in that. I'm, I'm conscious that I come from a point of privilege. Um, I, I had a, most of my treatment through the private health system, which allowed me to, um, as I said, audition specialists. You can do that through the public health system, but it's trickier. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, I did not receive a diagnosis that was so rare or so advanced that I had no choice. So I had a choice of who I could go chat to. But in that point of privilege, I still could have made the decision, which most people I've spoken to have done, particularly if they're older, that they take the treatment and the team that they are given Mm -hmm. as opposed to seeking a treatment and team that they feel part of and that was a really important um, delineation for me because I'm a massive control freak and <laughs> I need to feel that I am in control of the process even though we all know that I'm not mm-hmm. um, because it it helped with that placebo effect and with that sense that I, that I knew what was coming. So when he said to me, it's going to be very, very painful, I'm probably going to have to hospitalise you for pain management it meant that when I was eventually hospitalized for pain management, it was all part of my plan as opposed to a terrible thing that came out of the blue, like a macro.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Ellie, you mentioned that, um, it's good to have options. Uh, and, and I know that, uh, relating back to my mom's experience with cancer, uh, she had kind of three different routes that the doctors advised her about and, and she had the option to choose which one she was going to take. Um, what were your options like? Like, what, what do they tell you when, they, when you have anal cancer um, and it's stage 3B, did you say? Yeah. What does that mean? And what, how do they treat that?
1: Um, they said, we're going to give you a treatment protocol that we have used since the 70s. To which point I turned around and said, that doesn't sound very good.
2: Yeah, give me the one you've been using for the last only 10 years. Can I
1: have the new one, please? <laughs> yeah. But what they explained to me was um, it has been so successful since the 70s that they haven't had to change it. So whereas I had options and You're like, for,
0: bullshit, I'm in marketing. I know yeah, how this exactly. fucking works. Yeah, <laughs> I know that
1: spin. Um, so I had the same treatment that basically everyone on the planet has for anal cancer, which is... Um, you um, blast the tumor and all of the lymph nodes around it with 30 sessions of radiation, which is a shitload.
3: Whoa. That is a um, shitload. That sounds I've, like the ultimate bidet.
1: It's... <laughs> I <laughs> can't little... have any more. I'm done. cleanest I have... <laughs> <hole> after that? <laughs> well, you know, and some um, I got photos. No, I don't actually. I don't really. um, and then I also had chemo, and the chemo was the mopping up chemo. So the way that they explained that to me was um, the chemo is actually probably not going to do much for the anal cancer specifically, but it's going to go around the rest of your body, and if there's any um, micro cancer cells that we haven't been able to pick up, um, ideally it will it will kill them.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: the chemo was crap because it was a it was a chemo I'd never really seen on the on the TVs or the movies before. It was actually a um, portable pump, and it was like it was so weird. It was a bladder, like a soft, squishy bladder of what looked like water, in a plastic bottle, and then they surgically put a um, a line right up, and it sat just above my heart. Mm-hmm. And what it did was, as my heart beat, it pumped the chemo into my body continuously for, I think it was 72 hours. Oh, mm. oh wow. And, and they gave it to me Jesus. in a sad little string bag that I hung around my neck, and I had to <clears throat> walk around for three or four days with a bag of poison, with that the bladder awesome, getting progressively smaller as the poison went into my body.
2: Oh, my and, God. And, and why, and did anybody say why that, as opposed to, like, the one where you go to the hospital, they hook you up, you're there for a few hours, and then you peace out and...
1: Yeah, they want it in your body for as long as possible.
3: Oh, so, And they want to, and they want to strip away as much dignity of, uh, as they yeah, possibly yeah. can Do you in this process.
1: I, I carry that bastard of a bottle because even though the plastic bladder got smaller, the bottle obviously is still the bottle. The yeah, only yeah, thing yeah, is, is yeah. it got lighter. It was interesting. Like every sort of couple of hours, I'd be like, oh, it's hanging on my neck like a slightly less heavy millstone of death.
0: Um, right. But <laughs> I just,
1: luckily for me, it was winter. And so I had my big long Parker on and i just shoved that bad boy down and i did school pickup and the laundry and i just carried it around
2: did it make you feel real did like did you feel real shitty
1: yes the only thing that it was like being early days of pregnancy i ate a lot of potatoes i mean you're looking at basically Mm. one of the only humans on earth that gained weight through chemotherapy
2: Mm -hmm. interesting (laughs) is that like it it gave you potato craving
1: oh my god mashed potato fried potato Fries? Yes. Fat Coke.
2: What do you guys call fries
1: What's in Australia? Fat Coke. Fries. Chips. Wait. Ah, chips. Ah, oh, yeah, that That's the most Australian oh, they ever heard.
3: A, you,
2: want ah, you, want a, you want a chip brew? You want a chip brew? That's a that's chips. A, Cheerio. That's a um, thing. That's
3: a thing. That's uh, a, I'm I'm curious. How do they how do they do radiation in your butthole? Do they do you have to look like that lady who was getting the perineum sunning, or just fucking <laughs> yeah, knees up by your ears, your legs and butthole, point your butthole pointed up? directly up?
1: I have thought to myself, I'm going to share this part of the story with you.
2: No,
3: oh, Because okay. I yeah. haven't
1: right. told anyone this story.
2: Oh, my God. Exclusive. Oh, exclusive. Oh, my God. But, what
1: the... think, <laughs> but if I have to tell anyone, that it has to be three strange Canadian men who have yeah. been. Of course. Of
0: course. <laughs>
1: <laughs> when you, you don't get, have
0: to if you don't want to.
1: <laughs> oh, but you should. You're the sweet one. <laughs> <laughs> Brian but is if, the sweet shut one. Up, yes. but if, yeah. Yeah. Shut up, Brian. Shut up, Brian. All
0: right, go ahead. <laughs>
1: The way that they, tr- they give you radiation for anal cancer or cervical cancer or any other sort of cancer is you, you, you still lie down on a bed and a massive machine goes around you. You don't go on your hands and knees. You don't lie on your tummy with your bum in the air. It's just, um, it's pretty amazing. They basically um, map out your exact body inside and out. And then with the world's most amazing computer, they work out exactly where the radiation beams are going to go over the 15 minute treatment. Yeah, because it's
3: lasers, right? Like they laser. Did did they give you the little radiation tattoo?
1: Yep. I've got four yeah. tattoos. I'm, I'm basically Ruby Rose now. Um, <laughs> so before that, they have to map your body, they have to work out exactly how they're going to do it. So they do things like they mold this special blue plastic. Um, almost looks like a mini banana lounge that you lie on, but it sort of cups you in and makes you stay really still because they want to make sure that they're firing their radiation at exactly the same point by millimetre, and it's every day um, for six weeks without weekends because cancer doesn't. Oh, work right.
2: Because you had like the crazy number of it. You had 30, yeah. 30 rounds. Wait,
0: weekends. did you say you don't do weekends because no. cancer, like you're making the no, joke. Cancer they doesn't literally work on the
3: weekends, Brian. didn't know that cancer
0: they actually give you the weekend off. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. crazy. And if you're in the Middle like East, a- it's
2: a, it's a Friday, Saturday.
3: <laughs> yeah i i just want to i just want to say because this kind of blew over uh ruby rose for those uh of you out there who aren't aware because i fucking wasn't is a very hot um very tattooed australian model I am um uh, oh, wait and and uh,
2: is uh she the one yeah, that so was you, in John so, Wick? or am i making that up i don't know I'm thinking of the deaf the deaf woman who is in John Wick. Who is no, no, yeah.
3: different, different, uh, different actress. Okay, yeah, um, she she kind of looks like Justin Bieber.
1: She
2: does. Yeah, dude, that is. She got a Bieber. She got a Biebery look. That is the one I'm talking about. That's her.
1: No, really? Yeah, dude.
2: She was in John Wick. She's
1: very. She's the, which one? She's very beautiful. She's, the, she's, she's deaf, very tattooed.
2: Uh badass villain in John Wick uh, three. The one that's going two, around two. that Number that's two.
3: the like the auditor.
2: No, 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 no. Number two, John Wick two. That was John Wick three.
3: That was three. Anyway. Okay. Whatever. We, we. <laughs> okay, we're you right. guys carry on. That's fine. We digress. <laughs> um, what, what, out of, out of all the treatment that you went through, what would you say was the, what would you say was the hardest part? The hardest, the hardest one, the hardest, the hardest element? Um.
1: So it's the side effects from the radiation um, is horrific, it, and I think the word that the doctors use for me at the very beginning is it's brutal. Mm. They said that um, a fair percentage of people going through those thirty sessions of radiation therapy don't um, can't can't do it from beginning to end. They actually have to take a break um, because it's third degree burns on your bum hole. Oh. oh. So at the very beginning of the process, and I almost got away with not being able to tell you the embarrassing story, but I'm still going to tell it to you. But when they were mapping out my body and when they were going to do the, um, they were mapping out that plastic banana lounge and they were giving me my Ruby Rose tattoos, they put me into a room with these three young radiation nurses, two of which I think were on like internship. They They were just babies. And they were so nervous because they'd never done this before and they'd certainly never done it with a 36-year-old woman. But they had their instructions from my um, radiation doctor and that was to give the tattoos, to map my body for the uh, banana lounge thing, but also to measure the circumference of my anus. Whoa, What? and they didn't know that until they read his instructions on the computer in front of me and if you want to see 3 22 year old women lose all blood from their cheeks simultaneously and i'm sitting on the edge of their bed of the bed and i'm like everything okay over there and they're going, um, yeah, I mean, it's lots of whispering and things. And that was sort of this point where I just, I don't know, like my job kicked in and my job in client service is to make everyone feel comfortable. And I was like, come on, can't be that bad. What is it? And they were like, um, okay, we're just going to take this, um, this wire and we're going to wrap it into a tiny circle and then, um, we're just going to sticky tape. And I was saying, my bum hole. They're like, yes. Uh, and so I. Everybody poops. Come on air. Everybody yeah. poops here. And so they taped this, this round um, wire sort of thing to my bum hole.
3: Whoa. So do you know, do you know the circumference of your butthole? Did they, did they, yes. did they relay that information to you? Yeah,
1: they did. And I'm never telling you.
3: But wow. It's, you're, you're <laughs> the only person. You're the only person I know who knows the circumference knows of their own butthole. That That's amazing.
1: But do you know the best thing about the whole story is they were so freaked out and they were rushing and they, would do it, they were being very professional. But I lay there while they dicky taped wire to my bum and I made all the jokes and I made them feel better. And I don't say that because I'm a legend and, and they weren't doing their job properly. It was really early on in the process and it made me feel a lot better. And I think that that was the point at which I thought I reckon I can do this if I can mm. have a joke with it. Anyway, I stood up, I put my gown on, I went back up to the um, change rooms and two things happened completely simultaneously. I realised that I still had a wire ring cello taped to my bum hole and (laughs) there was a very gentle, embarrassed tapping on the door of the nurse who had chased me down the hallway, realising that she had left the wire stuck to my bum hole. And and she went, went, tap, 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 tap. And I said, yes. And she went, um... I said it's okay I've sorted it out and she's like okay thank you she ran away
2: <laughs> it, it obviously oh, sounded better with an australian accent as well when you were explaining <laughs> that when you were explaining the 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 all the, the the women being like like feeling weird i had i had uh i was i had shuffled over to another page on my computer and i and i have like eight eight tab things open so i was trying to make my way back to the screen i obviously missed something and I I thought that you were describing these people like shuffling and feeling really weird because they had, because like they had already measured the <laughs> circumference of your butthole and they were and like... And it was
1: abnormal. Yeah. And, and
2: they were like, oh my God, she's got, she's got the... She's got the widest butthole like we've ever seen ever, or something like that. And they like didn't want to tell you. And I was just laughing to myself, but I was. completely uh, hey, no, sure Haila, I very
1: perfect.
0: I'm. I'm really curious about. Uh, you. You mentioned that like the. Hold radiation. on, hold on,
3: Brian. Wait, hold on, Brian. I got. I have to know this. I'm sorry. Okay. I, you don't have to tell me the circumference of your butthole. But are we talking? Are we talking? Are we talking, are we talking like resting circumference or like? Like maximum, st- like, <laughs> like. <Wow>. We- <laughs> wow. I, why I do you need, need to know I, I, that? Because yeah. I want it. Cause, because because difference. Because there's a big difference. There's a huge difference of those two circumferences, and so they, I'm wondering if
1: they had to measure me so they could replicate how I would be every day for 15 minutes lying on a bed.
3: Mm. right so okay so resting Relaxed. butthole so you just take that information
1: you
0: carry on you said that uh it's like third degree burns from the radiation on your butthole and obviously um we said it a number of times in this episode we we say it all the time everybody <laughs> poops um everybody does how poop. how difficult was it Ooh, to go to the yeah. bathroom it for was a the the six-week period the worst
1: pain i've ever experienced it wasn't for the six-week period. Um, um, yeah. What happens is radiation burns build up. So for the first two or three weeks, oh. it's manageable. And after about four or five weeks, it starts to get a bit worse. I had to go in and check in with nurses once a week, and they just had to sort of check in that my skin hadn't started to break um, and, and basically blister and peel. Um, they knew that even though the treatment was six weeks long, the worst of the pain is actually in the sixth, seventh, and eighth Week because that's um, that basically the radiation stays in your body and then continues to work and continues to fry mm. basically. Um, uh. So by the time I was hospitalised um, around week six of my treatment, um, it was because I couldn't go to the bathroom and do booze um, without morphine um, oh. because um, oh I my passed God. out.
3: Oh my wow. lord! Wow, it was that intense.
1: Yeah, so I ended up wow. um, having morphine injections. Um, I was on some serious opiates. It was mm. a very, um, it was it was very very bad, and then um, it was very very lovely, <laughs> which is sort of the cycle <laughs> of being <laughs> yeah. in being in hospital for pain treatment.
0: Was it was wow, that the reason so why you had to be hospitalized at that point because it was so yep. pain, like it was the pain management part that's of it?
1: That's it. Yeah, they they yeah. just say, you know, we our job is to get you to the end of this six-week process and yeah. ideally and, to give you 30 sessions in a concentrated six-week period. And if you stop and then start again, then the efficacy of the treatment is um, compromised. So right. all they wanted to do was give me um, as much pain treatment and also to literally, I couldn't walk around. I couldn't walk. Yeah. So they just wanted to um, limit the amount of laundry, childminding, cooking um, I was doing by literally forcing me to lie in bed and giving me lots of drugs and also lots of um, sort of gels and creams and all those sorts of things.
3: And, and that's pretty typical for, for people who are, are dealing with anal cancer and, and have to go through the whole radiation process of that particular area. Like I haven't spoken uh, the... to
1: anyone who has had treatment for anal cancer and hasn't gone through that.
3: Right, yeah. Oh, How man, long were you in so hospital? so wild.
1: Um, two, two weeks, I think. I was, um, yeah, I was allowed out on weekends because I really missed my kid. Um, and um yeah, it was and then it was probably another four or five weeks of slowly decreasing pain at home
0: mm-hmm. um
1: before I could um start to live a, a slightly more normal life.
0: Do you do you lose your hair? No. Not no. with radiation.
3: That's a that's but a that's a chemo thing. She did chemo
0: as well, so I was yeah, yeah. did did you
3: end No, up
1: my her? You my didn't... cause it was sort of those small little so, um so bursts of those yeah. those pockets. I didn't right. I didn't lose my hair. Um but, yeah, the, the hospital thing was really interesting because, you know, I I can remember the early days of having a kid and being really tired and not having any time to myself and having to cook and clean all the time. And there were these moments where I almost felt guilty because, I mean, I was off my tits on morphine, but I was <laughs> lying around getting food delivered and I had Netflix and flowers and, um, you know, and, and it, you almost sort of, you can compartmentalize and reframe what you're experiencing by um, seeing how wonderful it is really. And I know that sounds really fucked up, but. Um, no, it doesn't. It is, I,
3: I, I fully relate to that. Like when I, when I, I get hospitalized maybe two, you know, on a bad year, like three times a year and, and I'm in there, I'm living in the hospital for two weeks at a time every yeah. time. And, and like, Sometimes it sometimes it's really rough, but there's sometimes where I'm in there and I'm, I'm thinking to myself like, you know what, this is a this is a little bit of a mini vacation, you know. Mm-hmm. Like I'm I'm you know I I, I think back. There's a, a Battlestar Battlestar Galactica is one of my like all time favorite shows, and I yep. watched that show from start to finish every season in in a hospital bed. And like I think back to that show, when I think back to like you know if I ever consider like rewatching that show during like quarantine lockdown uh-huh. times i don't have I don't have this feeling of like, oh no, that show's going to trigger me and make me think about uh-huh. times that were shitty. I think about that show, and I go, "Wow, that show is so special to me because it it <laughs> it really like it got me through a really rough time, and it actually made that time like as fucked up as you, as it might sound, really, really manageable and really enjoyable. And like, there's, there's, I have a fond memory of, of that, that experience of like, mm. you know, being, being, you know, being swept away up in that world of, of yeah. that television show. Um, just like
2: the difference, right? Like the, like you're changing, you're changing speeds. And even if like, ultimately that change of speed is shitty it's different from what you're used to, which, like, in some weird way, is like kind of refreshing.
1: Yeah, At least it's until possible. It's not, it and it's it's,
3: it's possible to reframe, and, and, and because I think there's something really important that you said there, Ella, was y- you had the ability to reframe what was happening, right? Yeah. And so there's there's. Because not every, I don't think everyone has that experience. And I think that to have that experience, it takes effort.
0: And not everybody has the privilege to be able to re, reframe yes. it like that because they don't have the same, you know, like, Jer, and by the by the sounds of it, Ella, like, your experiences with being in the hospital or being out of commission for a prolonged period of time is that, you know, there are people there supporting you too.
1: Mm-hmm. And, like,
0: mm-hmm. Jer, like, Taylor and I come visit you. Your family come, comes to visit you. Ella, you, you said that you were getting flowers. You mm. had somebody to help support support um with your your child presumably your husband and family and friends so um yeah like it is it is like it's something i guess it's probably this sense of i haven't personally been in this situation but it's probably i assume the sense of like gratefulness that you have those things right
1: yeah and also um Mm. with gratitude because i'm a woman comes guilt and so there was this sort of moment as well <laughs> that I was like, oh, I feel a bit guilty that I'm because I was in a cancer ward so there were people around me sort of, you know, vomiting and screaming with pain. I mean, I think I was screaming Ooh. with pain a fair bit, but um, the the whole nausea, like I just kept, kept feeling so grateful that I wasn't nauseous because I thought at least when the drugs kick in, I know I've got a two-hour block where I can nap or watch TV and I'm not crying anymore. Um, but then I felt guilty that I wasn't nauseous or I wasn't bald or I wasn't terminal. Um, and, you know, so, so yes, I, I was incredibly grateful and, and a touch guilty. Um, but to, to your point um, about Battlestar Galactica, Jeremy, I think um, for me it was Instagram, which sounds really fucked up. But yeah, no, yeah. I don't I... know how anyone could go through a process like that without some form of social connectivity mm-hmm. because I was so doped up but I was also really lonely. And so I couldn't really have long phone conversations. I didn't want to see anyone. So the idea of being on Instagram and being able to have these little, little short snippets and check-ins with, um, with people, um, again, that was reframing for me because it also allowed Mm. me to, I almost put on this sort of hat where I was observing what was happening around me rather than experiencing it myself. So I suddenly got really funny (laughs) And I got really silly. And I started to sort of just walking through the cancer ward and just picking up little things. Like there was a woman there who used to um, steal all the Tim Tams, which is this amazing Australian like chocolate biscuit, like a cookie. Mm. And um, it's like the queen of the biscuits. And there were only ever five Tim Tams at one time and she used to hoard them. And I became obsessed <laughs> with how she was hoarding the Tim Tams. And that sort of became a big thing on Instagram. So, and, and I was basically just recreating a world that I could filter my experience through that made it funny and Mm. controllable and enjoyable.
3: And you were, (laughs) you were documenting all of this through your own social media. Did you, did you, um, did you find there was like also some sort of like, did you start to develop an audience who were, who were, who were grateful for, for being taken along on that journey with you? You know what I mean? Like, did, were you receiving, were you receiving messages or, or comments from people that were like grateful to, to have, to have like a, a sort of peer into your own personal experience? Because again, like the big part of why we do this show is that being sick is a, is a human experience. It's something that we are all affected by in some way, or we will be in, in, in one way or another at some point in our lives. Okay. So did, did you, did you, did you experience a sense of that?
1: Yeah, I mean, um, uh, I got lots of really beautiful words. I mean, of course I did. I was a 36-year-old mother of one with cancer and everyone thought I was probably going to die. Everyone was being really nice. Um, (laughs) Mm -hmm. But (laughs) I think that the thing about cancer is that um, it's a tale that we think we all know. It just follows this template. Um, You know, we've all seen Stepmom or The Fault in Our Stars and, It's basically the the 21st century boogie monster. So when you hear that someone who you can relate to, either from the school playground or from the ad agency corridors, has been diagnosed, um, people get really, really scared and they also get really, really curious. And I um, pretty quickly on, (laughs) I weeded out um, the ambulance chases and the creeps. And I stuck with a group of people who um, were willing to laugh with me and were willing to sort of go along for the ride with all the gross jokes and the oversharing Mm. and saying things that cancer people shouldn't say, but I said anyway. Um, And in doing that, I almost developed this sort of self-fulfilling prophecy of the more people that sort of joined that community, the more um, dialogue I had with people in a similar mind frame, which then created um, a community where we were all, um, sort of helping each other. So yeah, I, I definitely found a, a, a positive feedback loop. Mm. Yeah. Uh,
3: tell tell us about, we're, we're slowly coming up to time here, but before we, before we wrap it up, I really want, I want to know about, uh, no more fucking lasagna. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: I'm writing a book. I say I'm writing a book. Um, I'm writing words on a word document. Um, and one day, if I'm very lucky, it will be it will be published. I got a lot of lasagna when I was first diagnosed. I think we had twelve lasagnas in the first week. Um, I don't know if it's it's an Australian thing, but people just kept turning up with lasagnas. Um, yeah, yeah, casseroles seem casseroles, to be the same. Jesus. I had that
2: Got out of the hospital. It's just like fuck I just
1: uh, even now when I see <laughs> lasagna, I just feel mildly nauseous. Um, I'm <laughs> I. Um, I took my Instagram off private um, about a week after I got back from hospital and I started to communicate with um, lots of strangers, not huge amounts, but um, groups of people who maybe um, had cancer themselves or had people around them who had been just diagnosed and they weren't following that sort of template that I talked about of, of being what being a cancer person should be which is you become all spiritual and you don't swear um, and you wear, like, floral linens and things. Um, <laughs> uh, right. And so I sort of um, found that I became this, um, I don't know, a bit of a magnet for people checking in and asking me questions. So my mate's just been diagnosed. She's a fucking legend, but I don't want to say the wrong thing. So have you got any suggestions? Um, and and I created um, so many little mini emails and listicles and um, guides on what to do and, and things like that that mm. I ended up thought oh bugger it I'll just put it all into um into a book so yeah I'm, I'm writing this book and it's all about um it's basically a book for the recently cancery and it's um it's to mm-hmm. just hold your hand and take you through the first six weeks um after the worst moment in your life.
2: Mm. That
1: sounds really uh, amazing.
2: It, Yeah, it
3: does. I, I, I have a feeling that, uh, you know, our listeners knowing that the, that this is a work in progress, uh, a lot of our listeners are likely going to want to kind of follow along so that when that book does drop, they can get their hands on it. Uh, where can, where can our listeners, uh, follow you and, and keep up to date with what's going on in your life?
1: Um, you can, um, be bombarded with, um, inappropriate sweary Instagram stories Um on my Instagram account. I'm Ella Ward and you can find me at Ms. Ella Bella, which is um exactly what it sounds like. It's an Instagram handle that was set up in 2012 by someone who didn't understand Instagram. Uh
3: (laughs) Yep, got it. Yeah. It's (laughs) underscore M-S-E-L-L-A-B-E-L-L-A. Um Ella, this is this has been a real fucking treat. Uh you you're our first guest that we've ever had on the show who has spoken to us from Australia. Um, I can't speak to whether or not you're the first Australian we've had on the show. We might've had one and we just didn't know because I don't know, they you know, so they, they were just <laughs> they so are, sneaky. We're,
1: we're, their, we're their, renowned for being, being very you're
3: you're a sneaky. You're sneaky people. <laughs> uh, this has been, this has been a real treat.
0: Hey Ella, I just, I wanted to say too, before, um, before we sign off, you know, like, I think everybody has um, those conversations in their lives where, you know, somebody says something and it may seem <laughs> in- insignificant to them, but it, it leaves a really profound impact on you. And I, mm. I can't stop thinking about um, the way that you reframed the way that I, I think about my mom sharing her cancer journey with me. So oh.
1: um,
0: thanks a lot for that. It means, it means a lot to me.
1: Thank you so much. That's a really special thing to hear you say. I really appreciate that.
0: How's your it, mom doing before, now? She's, uh, she's doing as well as she'll tell me.
1: Yeah. Okay, <laughs> uh, she,
0: that's good. She's, um, she's uh, been in remission for a few years now, and mm-hmm. and her last uh, checkup was was all good. So, yeah, she's doing really well.
1: That's ice. I'm happy to hear
0: that. Yeah, thanks. I have
2: one more thing to say that's even more important than what Brian just said. Um, what happens <laughs> in the stock market tomorrow?
1: Oh, <laughs> I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. So it's our sneaky Australian ways. Damn it.
2: (laughs) Um,
3: I actually do have one last thing to say, which is probably a little bit more important than that. Uh, Ella, (laughs) what what would you say? What would you say is the biggest thing that your, your experience with, with cancer has taken away from you?
1: It's taken away the confidence that when I feared something, it was just in my head.
2: Mm.
3: What would you say is the biggest thing that it's given you?
1: a voice. Um, I always had it, but, um, yeah, now that, now that I've had the experience of speaking and some people listening, um, I realise that maybe I can keep talking.
3: That's, uh, one of the best answers to that question I've ever heard. Uh, Again, Ella, thank you so much. This Thanks, was boys. really, really lovely. And, it's been uh,
1: dreamy. This is so thrilling for yeah, me in my little
3: yeah. house down in Melbourne. Yeah, well, it was, it was really fun for us too. Yeah. Um, and, and thank you all so much for listening. We, we hope you enjoyed it. Uh, as always, we'll be back next week with another great conversation. Uh, in the meantime, though, uh, head on over to... Apple podcasts and leave a rating and a review, uh, cause it would mean the world to us. It's actually a really important part of kind of keeping us on the iTunes charts, which is like, for some reason it's like the be all end all of the place to be. Although Spotify is switching up their shit and, Kind of a cool place to listen to the podcast, too, which we are also there. So all you Spotify people, we love you, and mm-hmm. we see you, and we hear you, and there's nowhere to leave ratings and reviews there, and that's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, we just kind of take it at face value. Um, and if you want to support the podcast in other ways, Taylor, why don't you tell them just, about just, our Patreon? You know,
2: you know how to use the interwebs. You can you know do it on the Patreon app and search up Sick Boy, or you can go to patreon.com slash sickboy and – contribute to our amazing and awesome uh, community there and become a part of our community there. We're actually going to be um, hopping off to um, join a Patreon hangout with all of our patrons right after we, uh, right after this. Literally, Um, literally literally in 15 minutes. We're going to end this conversation and we're going to go right over there. Um, And so if you are one of our patrons, you can go hang out with us there on on Wednesdays while this crazy fucking pandemic is still ravaging the earth. Um, So yeah, patreon.com slash sickboy. We love each and every one of our patrons
0: and thanks as always to donovan the c pat morgan for the amazing sound design on this show um you know i'm really intrigued by these radiation laser cannons and uh i'm i really want to know what it sounds like when one of those uh puppies starts to power up and get ready to blast us into some uh some cancer so uh donovan why don't you make it sound like we're we're tearing apart some cancerous cells and Blowing them to fucking oblivion. Oh <laughs> yeah! What this sounds like
3: right? Oh, that was cool. Whoa! <laughs> wow. Uh, that is it for this week. I'm Brian. I'm Taylor. I'm Jeremy, and this is Sick Boy.